So Luke's Gospel then, and chapter 2, and the verse 25 again tonight. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. So we are continuing to look at this man, Simeon, the eventide man that we were speaking about this morning. This old man at the eventide of life, about to sing his good night song to the Lord. And I hope that we'll all be able to sing it with him and be able to sing it like him with the same saving faith that he had in that holy child Jesus which he held in his arms. The thing that I want to point out, several things tonight, continuing from this morning, but the thing that I want to point out first of all tonight is Simeon's location. Because it says there in the text, there was a man in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know that. This is interesting to me, this expression. The Holy Spirit is telling us where he is abiding in Jerusalem. This is the first time that the city is named in the Gospel of Luke. Now to me, it, it expresses some surprise, almost, that he is happening to be in Jerusalem. It, it nearly implies to me that he, he didn't have to be there. That it was not perhaps his normal abiding place that he's there as one who has been led there and guided there and is there for a purpose. Now we don't know his office, what he did, um, Simeon. But from the dual blessing that he gives with the child in his hands, we suspect he's a priest. And this would also explain the, the reverence that the parents have for him, allowing him to hold the child, allowing him to speak like this, marveling at his words. And so his, his holding the child and the way that he behaves here has all the hall, hallmarks of a priest in the temple. And so we, we're, we're believing he's a priest. But he must be a retired priest because you're retired when you're a fifty as a priest. So he, he certainly is retired. So, But he hasn't gone home to his retirement home. You see, Jerusalem was not the abiding place normally of the priests, except the high priests. Uh, but he, he had, the priests had various cities uh, throughout Israel, but after the split, um, the, 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 the Judah, Judah and Benjamin cities were mainly the abiding places of the priests. Hebron, Bethshemesh, in Judah, Anathoth, and um, Gibeon in the land of Benjamin. And so these were the retirement places, these were abiding places where the priests normally lived whenever they weren't carrying out their cycle, their function in the temple, and where they went when they retired home to their cities and their suburbs. But this old man is not in his retirement home. This old man is not in the cities of Judah or in the towns of Benjamin that belong to the priests. He's in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the right place at the right time. He's 
not departing from the temple. He's a bit like Anna. He's lingering on. He's, he's in Jerusalem. He's staying in Jerusalem. Though he does not have to. He's there. He's there, the Holy Spirit tells us, waiting. He's waiting. And he's seeking. And he's looking. It is. He's here before he dies. Because he's waiting for Christ. Why? Jerusalem. Well, it's all about the temple, isn't it? God's house. And in God's house, it's the most likely place where you would have an encounter with Messiah, with Christ, when he comes. So you see, he's a man who wants to meet Christ. He's a man who wants to see the Lord's Messiah. And he knows where he's most likely to meet him, in Jerusalem. In the temple, in the house of God, you see, he's a spirit-taught man. The Holy Spirit has given him special revelations, but he also knows the word of God. And one of the great concluding passages in the Old Testament concerning Messiah is this wonderful promise. The Lord whom ye seek, and that's Simeon. He's a seeker. He's waiting for the Lord. He's waiting for the coming of Christ. And to those who are seeking and waiting, the Old Testament concludes with this. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And so that's why he's in Jerusalem. He's waiting this event, the sudden coming of Christ to his temple. You see, he's in Jerusalem because he's seeking. He's in Jerusalem seeking the Saviour, not carelessly away home to his retirement home, forgetting all about it. No, an old man, an aged man, and yet here he is in Jerusalem, and he's not alone. Because the passage that tells us there are others in verse 38, Anna coming in that instant, give thanks likewise unto the Lord, and speak of him, that is of the child, unto that looked for redemption in Jerusalem there were others hanging about as well there was a spirit of expectancy there was a waiting there was a, this expectancy that something was going to happen that Christ was going to come and they're there looking for redemption in Jerusalem Simeon is here and Anne is here and there's a whole pile of others because Anne is telling them this is him this is the one you've been looking for this is why you're in the temple waiting this is him here although we're not speaking of Anne as a night but you'll see that there is this spirit of expectancy why? why is there this spirit of expectancy at this time? Because the Sanhedrin have been in Herod's palace. Because the Sanhedrin have made the report of the wise men who came with this story. Because there had been that strange strange star and reports of one born in Bethlehem. And so they have heard of this. And they're in the temple because they know that if he has been so born, he will have to be brought to the temple for the purification ritual by the mother. And so eyes are open and people are alert and they're looking and waiting for this redemption in Jerusalem. 
And Herod, he probably heard of the purification too later on, and he is infuriated and realizes what has happened. Though Luke doesn't record the um, Magi coming, and Luke doesn't record the flight into Egypt, but nevertheless, to fit them in chronologically, we are assuming that the wise men have come before this event, and now he's going up into the temple, and Herod will hear about the reports in the temple, and very shortly after this, they'll have to flee for their lives because he's an infuriated man. So we're just putting the event in chronologically as it appears um, to me in the text. And so, whatever, anyway, he's in the right place. He's a place of likely encounter with Christ. The mother will come with him and he will, if he hangs about and is led by the Lord, he will surely meet him. And so, he's in Jerusalem. And if you want an encounter men and women with Christ, like him, you're best being in the place where you're likely to meet Christ. And where's that? Jerusalem. That's where it is. The house of God. In the place where the word is preached. In the place where Christ comes among his people. And says he'd be with them where they meet two or three are gathered together. Where his ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table are. If you're going to meet Christ anywhere, if you're going to encounter him anywhere, the most likely place is in his house, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And that's where he is, in Jerusalem. Uh, if you want to, if you want to um, remain Christless, like, like all the people outside there who don't step foot in God's house and never come under the gospel, if you want to remain Christless, then just stay away from the house of God. That's all you have to do. Just stay away from the gospel preaching. Just stay away from the ordinances. Just stay away from the word of God. It's easy if you want to miss Christ. It's easy if you want to avoid him. Just get out of Jerusalem. Just avoid the house of God. Just avoid the ordinances. He's in Jerusalem. The most likely place to encounter Jesus Christ. He wants to meet him. He has a desire. He's seeking. He's waiting. He's hungry and thirsting after the Redeemer. And so he's, he's, in, he's that's, that's what the Holy Spirit by means. In Jerusalem. There was a man in Jerusalem. In the right place. And so, in the, the, the house of God in Jerusalem is a very important place if you want to meet Christ. If you're a seeker, if you desire him, and continue in Jerusalem. If you don't know him. Or you say. I, I, I wish I knew the Savior. I wish I knew I had an encounter with him. I wish I knew I met him. Well. Keep coming to the meetings. Keep being in Jerusalem. Keep sitting under the gospel. And one day. It may please the Holy Spirit. To come. And to give you an encounter with Jesus Christ. But you'll not have it if you avoid the gospel. You'll not have it if you avoid the house of God. Just stay at home. Just stay at, just, just go to your retirement home and forget all about it. You're not likely to have an encounter with Christ. 
No, you see, it says here, the Holy Spirit says, there was a man in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in the house of God. A seeker. Wanting to meet an encounter in his house, the Lord Jesus. Is that why you're here? Is that why you're in Jerusalem every week? To encounter Christ. So let us be in our Jerusalem every Lord's Day, men and women, every meeting around God's Word, every opportunity that we have to encounter the Lord Jesus. And so that's what I think we should bring out by this expression. He was in Jerusalem. But then the Holy Spirit next draws our attention to his name. Because it says here, whose name was Simeon. He had a name. The man that we are to behold. The man that the Holy Spirit would draw us in to consider. He is telling us that this man in Jerusalem has a name. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know that name. You see, it could have been left out. There are very many men in this gospel who encounter Jesus Christ. And their names are not given because their names were not important. And their names had no significance or no meaning to the narrative. And it could be left out. But this man's name can't be left out. We have to know this man's name. There's something about this man's name that the Holy Spirit is alerting us to. There must be something edifying if the Holy Spirit takes up space. And says his name is Simeon. And so we can't just jump over that word. We have to pause and behold. And think even about the name. It's not a rare name in the Bible. You know that. There are five Israelites in the Bible. Who bear this name. Uh, he is one of them of course. But there are four others. There are two in from Old Testament times. And there are three in New Testament times. The, the first of course and perhaps the, the most important in the Bible in some respects is Simeon, um, the second son of Jacob by Leah, born after his brother Reuben. And he is the father, of course, of one of the twelve tribes, and one of the tribes bear the name Simeon. So it's a tribal name um, coming from that ancestor, the second son of Leah. And then there is in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, uh, fitted in there, uh, an ancestor of Joseph's called Simeon, another descendant of Abraham, not the tribe Simeon, but another descendant who is an ancestor of Joseph. We know nothing about him at all, except that mention in Joseph's genealogy in Luke chapter 3. And then, of course, there is a teacher in Antioch, Simeon, uh, who is called Major, he was a teacher in the Antioch church. And then, of course, this is also the original name, the original Hebrew name of Peter. Peter is called by James in the Hebrew tongue, Simeon. Although we usually give him the name Simon, Peter. But it is the second son of Jacob, the brother of Reuben. He is the first to bear this name. And he is the one whom we would obviously think about whenever we read of this um, at any other time because we would suspect well 
if he's called Simeon, he must be called after the, the son of Jacob, Simeon. But as we examine Simeon's life, we do not feel that the Holy Spirit could be drawing us to the character of Simeon, because Simeon in the Old Testament is not like this Simeon. The Simeon in the Old Testament is a violent man. He is a vengeful man. And this old man, Simeon, we picture him as the very opposite of that. Mild and gentle, able to take a little child in his arms and nurse that child and prophesy at the same time. He's not feeling awkward. So there's a gentleness here about this Simeon. Uh, Unlike the Old Testament Simeon. Yes, the Old Testament Simeon did take up something in his hands. Of that we are certain. We read about it. He took up a sword. And he went to Shechem, to the man Shechem and his father. And he slaughtered the whole tribe, all the men. And they've just been circumcised. And all the wee male babies as well. All of the males, he slaughtered them all with the sword in his hands. But this Simeon doesn't do that. This newly circumcised male child, Jesus, he takes him in his hands. He embraces him. He holds him. He keeps him alive. He guards him. He shields him. The very opposite of the Old Testament Simeon. So the Holy Spirit cannot be referring to the character of Simeon when he gives us the name of this man here. In fact, he is the complete opposite and contrast to him. What is it then that the Holy Spirit is pointing out when he tells us about this. What is it that we are to think about? And there is no doubt that the reason it is in the text is because of the meaning of the name. And of the meaning of the name we have no doubt because whenever Leah, you remember Leah was hated uh, by her husband. Uh, He preferred the the other wife. Uh, She had Reuben. She thought, well, her husband will love her now and uh, not be so fond of Rachel. Um, But it wasn't the case. But she had another son, and she called him Simeon, uh, because she said, because the Lord hath heard that I was here. And therefore he's given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And the verb is heard. The Lord has heard. He's heard. And this man bears the name hearing. He's the hearing man. He's the man that heard the Holy Ghost. He's the man that heard the promise from the Holy Ghost that he wouldn't die until he'd seen Christ. He was the man that heard and he believed what he heard, what he was taught by the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is telling us, here's a hearing man. And I think that that's what he must be drawing our attention to. His name capsulates him. Simeon is one who has hearing. He is one who has heard. He is one who has hearkened. That clearly identifies this man. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. He heard God's word. Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He's heard that word. And that's what the Holy Spirit is pointing out. 
He's a hearer. Remember how and the Lord Jesus said, yeah, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God. They're blessed. Here's a hearer. He's blessed. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And this man has heard God's word and he's among the blessed people. And the Holy Spirit is pointing this out. He never saw Christ until he first heard. Nobody sees Christ until they first hear. You have to be a hearer before you can be a believer. And he's a Simeon. He heard and he hearkened. And then being a hearer and being a hearkener, he came into the place and he was able to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Nobody encounters Christ who doesn't hear his word. The people won't hear. They'll not encounter Christ. If the Holy Spirit brings a man to encounter Jesus Christ, he'll be a Simeon. He'll be a hearing man. He'll be a man who'll be listening to the gospel. He'll be a man who'll be hearing the word. And so the Holy Spirit is drawing the attention to this fact that he listens to the gospel promises. He, he hears the word of God. He believes it. He hearkens to it. He obeys it. And he comes into the temple and he encounters Christ afterwards. The word that he heard we will leave to another time. But clearly it was a Christ-centered word. It was the gospel that he heard and he hearkened and he saw Christ one day face to face. Do you want to encounter Christ? My best advice to you is you keep hearing the gospel. You keep hearing the word until the Holy Spirit gives you an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so you must not only inhabit Jerusalem, you not, must not only be in Jerusalem, you must be a man whose name is Simeon. Are you hearing? Are you really hearing? Are you hearkening to the word in Jerusalem, in this house? Is that why you're here? To hear? And so you see, we, we, you must be using the means of grace. In the house of God and in the temple. You must hear the word. You must be under it. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, of course. And so do you see why we preach? So that we will see Simeon's formed. And see encounters with Jesus Christ taking place. Do you see why God gives the ordinance of preaching? Do you see why God gives his word? So we will hear. He that have ears to hear our words, let him hear. Be a Simeon. You have to be a Simeon to take up Jesus Christ. I hear. The Holy Spirit then proceeds to describe nextly his character. The same man I referred to that expression this morning. His humanity is certainly highlighted by the Holy Spirit. But this same man, what kind of man is he? What has hearing made him into? This man who comes to prophesy. All his time in Jerusalem 
How has it influenced him and molded him and affected him? Well, two words the Holy Spirit uses to sum him up. It says the same man was just and devout. He was both, first of all, just, and then, secondly, devout. Now, that's a good combination. That's an essential combination. Just, just is what he is before man. He's just before men. Devout makes us think of his religion before God. He fears God. So there, there is a, his attitude to men, one of justice and integrity and righteousness, and his attitude to God, one of devoutness and reverence and godly fear. That's, that's an essential combination. He is both righteous and religious. In other words, he cares about both tables of the law. The justice part is the second table of the law, and the devout part is the first table of the Lord of the law. But he is righteous, first of all. Now he's not the only man on the scene who is righteous. You remember how Matthew told us uh, concerning Joseph, Mary's husband, that he was a just man. Joseph's the same. There are two just men in this scene. And Joseph and, and Simeon are both just men. And his, his justice was seen in that he was not willing to make his, his engaged wife uh, to be a public example, though he was minded to put her away. And it was justice that made him in that mind to put her away, but to do it kindly and, and humbly and meekly, and not as a brute. So that, 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 that was coming out in Joseph. He said, he's a just man. And here Simeon is that as well. Now some people have suggested that it just means he's a saved man, that he's justified, uh, that he has a righteousness given to him in grace. Uh, he's forgiven and clothed with salvation. Now, and it is true that he is a saved man, and that he is a justified man, and he has his faith in, in the Lord. And we believe that therefore he's a truly saved man. But I don't think it's referring to his salvation, his justification. It's obviously referring to his life. His lifestyle. His uprightness and integrity. And I hope you do know the difference between being a justified man and being a just man. Being a just man doesn't make you a justified man. It's grace makes you a justified man in the salvation and grace of Jesus Christ saves you. But being justified, the Holy Spirit also at the same time regenerates you and you become a, a just man, a righteous man. So, so there is a distinction and I hope that you all know the difference. But the Holy Spirit here is drawing attention to his life. The kind of man who's going to speak these prophecies, what kind of man? Is he a liar? No. He's a just man. He has integrity. And he's uprightness. He's no hypocrite. He's honest. He's sincere. He's genuine and real. Remember how at the beginning of the book Zacharias and Elizabeth are described as both righteous or just before God. How is that seen? They're walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. 
And this is what this man's doing. He's, he's walking in God's commandments. He's honoring the second table. He's, he honors authority. He's, he takes life sacred. He uh, takes uh, chastity serious. He takes the property of others serious as well. And he takes men's names and reputation serious. Doesn't talk about them and slander them and discredit them before others. And he's not covetous. So he's, there's, there's a, an uprightness and a justice in his life. He, he's faithful. He is considerate in all his human nation, relations. We don't know that he had children, but he was just in his relationships with his children. He, he didn't provoke them to wrath. Was he a, a servant or what, did he work for others? Then, as that, he was just in his relationship to his employer. He was honest. He did his day's work. You know what I'm saying. He's just keeping the second table of the law. The Holy Spirit is also telling us he's devout. He keeps the first table of the law as well. He feared God. He wasn't just good toward men and bad to his God. I mean, the people of the world, they think like that. There are men in the world who reckon themselves righteous. And they don't do anybody any harm. And they're good husbands, they so think. And they're good parents. And they're good citizens. And upright and moral. But they've no time for religion. And they've no time for God. And they cast God behind their back. And while they put all the strokes on the second table of the law. Oh, that's decent. That's good. That's how I live. There's no concern about the first table. Especially God's day. And even less regard for God's name. But this man's not like that. He doesn't cast God. The two of them are really inseparable. How can a man be a gentleman who casts God behind his back? You know, you know these politicians boast about their social justice and equality, and we're the great liberals who stand for uprightness and integrity and equality and social justice among men. But we don't do God. What a load of nonsense! This man's just and devout. The only kind of uh, man that God cares about. Just and devout. So he was uh, fearing God. He believed in God. He prayed to God. He sought God. He was in God's house. He, he's keeping God's day. And so he, he wasn't just... The Holy Spirit isn't drawing attention. He's a scribe. Or he's not drawing attention to the fact that he's priest. As I say, there's a question mark over these things. Uh, whether he's a Pharisee or whatever he is. That doesn't matter. He's telling us in his heart. This is a just man and a devout man. A good man. Behold him. Behold him. Behold there was a man. Just and devout. And that's what the Lord wants his people to be. Now, why does the Holy Spirit tell us this? That's what I always ask the text. Why? Why, are my, why am I told this? Why is the Holy Spirit pointing this out for me to know? Why would he want me to know that this man is just and divine? Why is it so important in the story? Is it that he might handle Christ? Is the Holy Spirit telling us that only a just and devout man can take up Christ. Men and women, you don't have to be just and devout to take up Christ. He took up Christ. And he says, Now have my eyes seen thy 
salvation. A just and a devout man doesn't need salvation. But he's not taking up Christ as a just and a devout man. He's taking up Christ as a sinner. I need a saviour and I need salvation. And I'm taking up Christ as a sinner. I've seen your salvation Lord. I've seen how I'm saved. This is how I'm saved. And so don't be confused. This isn't in the narrative to tell you. You have to be just and devout to take up Christ. You take up Christ as a sinner. You embrace him as one perishing in your sin and you need salvation and you need forgiveness and you need cleansing and the only one who can do that is Jesus Christ. You take him up as a sinner and bring him to your sinful heart to cleanse you and change you and he takes up Christ not as a just and a devout man but a sinner who sees the salvation of God. That's not why it's in the text. No. The Holy Spirit is telling us he is a holy man. Not so he can not so as he can handle Christ, but the Holy Spirit is telling us he's a holy man, so that we may know his prophecies are true. That's why he's going to tell us things. He's going to tell us things about this Christ. He's going to tell us things about Mary. He's going to tell us things about the distant future. He's going to give us a word of prophecy. He's going to say marvelous things. Can we believe him? The Holy Spirit is saying yes. He's just and devout. And the Holy Ghost is upon him. That's why the Holy Spirit tells us this. For the word's sake that he gives. Because the Bible says, the Holy Spirit speaks through holy men of God. He doesn't speak through liars and hypocrites. He speaks through holy men of God. God-fearing and devout and honest men. And we can believe this man because he's devout and holy, a holy man of God that the Holy Spirit has come upon. So this song that he sings is holy. It's inspired. It's out of a devout heart. And that's why we're told this. And we'll come to the prophecies. We'll see the man at the minute, but we'll see his message eventually. But this man is holy and devout. So you see the distinction I'm making, men and women. Not holy and devout to take Christ. But you must be holy and devout to preach him. To testify of him. There's a distinction. You don't have to be holy to take. You're a sinner and you need to be saved. But you see if you go out and talk about him, you better be holy. You better be devout. The Lord only wants holy men to speak about. That's why we can listen to Simeon. He's a man. We can listen to. So let's leave it there then. We'll pray.